This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. If you know someone who's never listened to a podcast, it might sound bananas to you and me, but those people are out there. If we want the podcast industry to grow, we need to turn those non-podcast listeners into podcast listeners. We think that if they just heard one podcast, one really, really good podcast that shows them how great podcasts can be to listen to, that they might convert. Then they will listen to another, and then another, and then another. Think Media thinks so too. And this April, they are launching Adopt a Listener. Yes, that's right, Adopt a Listener. They're asking you to find someone who says, podcasts aren't my thing, and give them a thoughtful recommendation. Something will get them hooked. Go to thinkmedia.co forward slash adopt to sign up, find resources, and learn how you can get involved. Crosswires is a proud supporter of Adopt a Listener. See the other participating shows at thinkmedia.co slash adopt. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to Crosswires. It's James here, and this week we are going wireless. Hang on, we might already be wireless. Hold on a second. That makes no sense. All right, we are going wireless. We're going to be talking about the wonderful world of Wi-Fi. And we have a fantastic guest. But before I... Jay, how are you doing? I am doing awesome. I am I am uh, here podcasting with my lovely co-host and also for the first time podcasting with with uh, a good friend of the show. So I'm, I'm doing good. Though I also have to say one thing. Mm-hmm. I surprised you by the fact that I'm actually trying out SwiftKey again, powered by Bing AI on my phone. You, you do I, realize this isn't the AI episode, right? So you can make that confession later tonight. I know, I know. Oh dear. But no, I'm doing. I'm doing good, and I, I like having a day off today. I love having every Friday off. I'm loving this new job. It's great. Oh, shush you. <laughs> but. <laughs> I want to give a huge congratulations to Alex and Jim for relaunching charging status. And I have it already queued up in my, in my podcast app. I just didn't get a chance this morning to, to watch it. I was actually listening to a, a podcast about the chandelier falling on the final showing of Fem of the Opera on Broadway. I was just very <laughs> intrigued by that. So sorry, Alex. Fem of the Opera took precedence in my podcast app today. But congratulations to you, too, because I am so excited to see it continue. And I've been getting a lot of my EV news from you. So I, I'm, I'm, and I'm very, I'm getting very excited. I just want to say that it, it's really getting me charged up. Oh, <laughs> oh no. But yes. So yeah, our guest today is Alex Lowe of The Interface. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing good. Thank you for having me on again. It's good to be back podcasting with Crosswise. Is this your third Crosswise appearance, I think? It is, I think. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Third. Yeah, number three. Number three. So yeah, congratulations on charging states. It, it is a little bit, I've got to be honest, it's a little bit weird hearing, hearing the show go on with someone else, even if he shares effectively the same first name. Like it's just <laughs> yes. a bit surreal. <laughs> 
But anyway, congratulations. So, Alex. What, oh, what? I just realized what? at the end of the episode, you'd be like, it's the end, Jim. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, Star Trek no, no, no. It's a car, Jim, but not as we know it. <laughs> all right, all right. So, Alex, <laughs> sorry, Alex, before we get into our, our discussion today, and it, it, look, this is going to be very much focused on kind of the un, the, the technology itself, Wi-Fi itself. And, it, I mean, is it fair to say, Alex, we are probably going to be talking, when we talk about maybe devices and application, we are probably going to be talking more on the, should we, the home user side because getting into business Wi-Fi in terms of placement and, and stuff, is far more complicated. Is that a fair assumption? Yeah, like hotel Wi-Fi, office Wi-Fi, it's a massive, completely different ballgame, really. Yeah, so a whole different ball game. And look, there is great content out there, obviously by Alex himself for Hostify. I mean, have, you, have you done Wi-Fi stuff on the interface as well? well? Yeah, quite a while ago, I started doing Wi-Fi guides for Ubiquiti stuff. It's I've stopped doing it more recently because it does take a long time to produce and of course, with Hostify now, so there's great YouTube stuff that we're doing and, and lots of guides. So, and without you know, sort of bringing up comp, I don't, even, I wouldn't even say competition. I think we, I think we've discussed this so many times, but there's so much space. Like, let is it okay? We give a shout out to our friend Cody McCallum from Mac Telecom Networks and Tom Lawrence. Hundred percent, yeah. Those two guys are doing some great, great work. Oh, and um, what's it? Uh, uh, Willie Howe as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, and hang on, how can we? So, so many great creators in the business Wi-Fi, and uh, particularly the Unify space. Of course, we should give a shout out to um, uh, Chris Sherwood of uh, Crosstalk Solutions. Oh, definitely, yeah. You know, I've learned so much from Chris. So, but we're going to be focusing on Wi-Fi itself. And uh, Alex, yeah, I want to say this in the right way because it could come across as really rude. What gives you the expertise? What where, Where's your grounding in understanding this Wi-Fi? What's your experience of it? Just so we can make sure our listeners feel comfortable with you. Yeah, so I started my career in networking. My first job, God, how long ago was that now? Probably eight years ago. Uh, so I used to work for a, a, a WISP. So for everyone that's not too familiar, it's a wireless internet service provider. So I, I'm not going to name who it was, but I work for probably one of the largest WISPs in the country. I started as an apprentice, which was it's such a good opportunity to start any job as an apprentice because you, you don't have to have all the qualifications. They'll teach you on the job and you can also earn money at the same time, which is it's amazing. I'm not sure if they have apprentices in the US. It's very much a, a thing that's been around for quite a while in the UK. But anyway, I they taught me everything I, I know now really about wireless networking because um, obviously the devices that you use to get the internet to your house, they all use the same Wi-Fi technology. We'll get, we'll get to that in later with the show. But yeah, I fell in love with networking and Wi-Fi. So, and I've sort of taught myself quite a bit. So it's um, it's it's great fun. Now, just because I I find the the this technology interesting, is this the same idea of like I know there are some like citywide Wi-Fi net, um, networks. Well, similar. Okay, because I because I, I know I, like I think San Francisco, San Francisco in the in the uh, United States has has that, and I know. My state, my city of Columbus has has some some citywide internet as 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 well that that they've been start, starting to bring out, especially to get to places where you can't bring cables. Yeah, definitely. Those are more of a mesh, maybe more of a mesh scenario. Okay. Yeah, the 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 wireless internet provider stuff, as I said, we'll get into it a little bit later. But the the underlying core technology of Wi-Fi, it's used in that in that scenario, but it's more long distance wireless cables, essentially, um, which is how I like to I like to reference it, but. Oh, I like that. I like that. 
All right, let's get into Wi-Fi itself now. First question I've got to ask, is this a myth? Because I know we've got some myths later on, but is it a myth that Wi-Fi actually stands for wireless, means is a sh- acronym for wireless fidelity? Officially, the Wi-Fi Alliance haven't, haven't confirmed what it actually means. I've got no idea what it means, to be honest. I think it's just one of those <laughs> one of those things that just, it's a little word that means something. So, yeah, I'm not sure what it means. Okay. But, but, but I mean, my, my mixed two of us. I had I'd heard what I'd heard wireless fidelity because that's what hi-fi means, high fidelity. Right. So yeah, I'd heard. But anyway, and, and, and someone had, had said like wireless frequency as what is what is what I had been told at one point. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. What, I don't know how that would be five for frequency, but that was that's what someone had told me. Okay. Well, we'll, well, I guess one day we might actually find out. So. Alex, let's kick in with a bit of a history of what we call Wi-Fi. So, as I mentioned, the Wi-Fi Alliance, it was a lot of things in networking have a standards code. So Wi-Fi or wireless uh, uses 802.11 as its standards code. And then for each generation of Wi-Fi, so obviously it goes through evolution and they come up with ways to perfect it and different frequencies and that sort of thing. They have letters after each one. More recently, that's been very simplified uh, so you now have numbers as well, um, but the the letters have changed. So last few years, Wi-Fi six has been very much a big thing. I mean, your your UDR you've got at home has Wi-Fi six, mm-hmm. but the, yep. but the technical standard of that is eighty two dot eleven AX. And it's only, as I said, it's only just recently they've started to simplify the naming of it. But it's, it hasn't been around for that long. Like everything that we're used to nowadays, the internet itself and Wi-Fi, it's only twenty years really, just over wow. twenty years. Um, yeah, that makes sense because I remember hearing about that on like some of the early like like tech TV about Wi-Fi and and being like, whoa, you mean I don't have to have cables for my internet? Yeah, definitely. The the very first version of Wi-Fi was announced was the year I was born, actually, nineteen ninety seven. Oh, young man, <laughs> <laughs> you both making me feel old today. All right, come on, just let's 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 stay away yeah. from the old jokes, eh? All right. Yeah, and. Really, the company that sort of helped kickstart the popularity of Apple, really. Um, so Apple used to do all these in-person keynotes before COVID. And there was a big one in the late 90s where they announced the iBook. And they had Phil Schiller who jumped out of a built, like jumped off a stage with a with a, a laptop that um, was connected by Wi-Fi. And Steve Jobs had a, like a hoop that went around it to prove there's no cables. And then they launched the airport as well, the airport Wi-Fi routers. So that was the, really the... Give them some credit. They were the company that sort of helped popularize it and bring it to the mass mass market. Didn't that first airport not only have an Ethernet input, it had a fifty six k modem in it? I oh wow, I think so. I think you're right. Yeah, I think it had a modem built in. Yeah, yeah. Because at that point, broadband was not as widespread, particularly in the states. Yeah. So the idea was that you could take a fifty six k dial up modem and share that across your Apple home, Apple powered home network. Yeah. Yeah. The very first version of Wi Fi was really slow. Like, so we're used to nowadays, we're talking pre show about internet upgrades and like the 100 megabits per second. The very first version of Wi Fi did about two megabits per second. That was it. Wow. And it only, only ran on 2.4 gigahertz. So yeah, it's, we've come a long way, really. <laughs> we really have. And then I guess it, it started to evolve from there. And, you know, I remember, you know, starting to see, you know, people saying, oh, get a Wi-Fi card for your laptop. And I, for a long time, Wi-Fi was not something that was built into laptops. It was no, it, it was something you added on extra. And I remember, I remember buying Belkin 
Uh, I mean, at the time they were eight, and this kind of leads us on to the next, the next bit we're going to talk about is they were eight or two to eleven G cards, and I just yeah. remember you know fitting those out and using Belkin gear. But obviously, we talked about first standard being two megabits. Help us understand because you know eight or two to eleven A B C D E F and U. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah, so the very first version of Wi-Fi didn't have a letter after it at all just it was just eight to lot eleven and then the second version was b and then the very first time five gigahertz was used was in 11a and then we had gn ac ax and then uh that's it at the moment what do these letters mean because you've put a really handy link into uh lifewire that explains all the different standards and there's actually more in there what i didn't realize is that for example 802.11r is the standard that allows what what we correct me if I remember wireless roaming, which is very important in networks like in particularly in business networks, but in mesh networks, that's vital, right? If you don't have eight or two eleven R, mesh Wi-Fi just does not work. Well, kind of. Um, so eight two eleven R is it used to be quite a important thing to have, but things like things like Unify have stopped supporting it, or it's it's off by default. It's not as oh. I don't think it's as important as it used to be. With roaming in enterprise environments, a lot of the roaming happens with from the client side. Oh, the client decides okay. when it when it wants to roam. It evaluates the signal level of APs and sort of makes a decision based on different thing, different neighbors it can see, and then it decides on a roam. So, and I have to apologize to Jay. I I thought Alex had put that link in. It turns out that was Jay being amazingly like Jay and putting awesome links in. So we'll make sure that's in there. I just wanted people to know that I know. <laughs> You know stuff, right? Yeah. (laughs) I I have set up Wi-Fi networks, and I thought as far as I'll go, but I have set up Wi-Fi networks for different businesses. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I mean, it's. I think we, like, certainly I have. Obviously, Alex has done a lot. We've all, probably all of us, maybe some of us listening, have been once to set up Wi-Fi. I mean, I remember, you know, getting drafted in to help uh, family members set up their Wi-Fi. I, I have brick routers with DVRT before I was aging into them. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I've done that. I bricked a TP-Link Archer C9, uh, <laughs> irretrievably bricked an Archer C9 yep. trying to put that onto it. Mine was a Netgear. It was a really solid Netgear router, and I, I felt so bad because it was $100 that I bricked. Oh, no. So, Alex, quick question for you, because obviously, look, it, these standards, um, they all d- do different things. But right now, you obviously, you said we've got Wi-Fi 6, which is 802.11x. Uh, AX, sorry. Yep. Help me just understand what six E is that still AX? It's just an evolution. Uh, it is just a marginal. Is it like AC? Because there was AC Wave Two, wasn't there? Yeah, it's more a, a revision to the standard. Even though there's, it's not really a revision. It's a massive change, really. But yeah, they haven't given it a different letter acronym. It's just, it's. I think they're moving away from the letter acronyms, maybe. Uh, but with Wi-Fi six E is is the addition of a, a separate frequency. So we've got uh, six gigahertz now as well. Oh, okay. I think one important thing to bring up on all these different frequencies is I think 5 5 gigahertz is faster but it also has a shorter range. Yeah. Whereas like 2.4 gigahertz is slower but you can um you, you don't have to be as close to the Wi-Fi router. Uh-huh. And and for, I, at least for a, a while you would have like you would have like one one network that would be 2.4 one network that would be five and you would try not to put any device on the five that would slow down that 
but you had to make sure that you had different things. I, I know my router here, I have an Eero, will automatically f- switch you between the networks intelligently, but it, it, but it was, it was always one of those, like I, I've been in some places where they turned off the 2.4 gigahertz, but did not have an, have any other Wi-Fi, And they were like, why is it getting slow? Well, because you have to be closer to the Wi-Fi router. Yeah, definitely. Because Alex, isn't is it is it AD that's like um, ridiculously fast? It's at a really high frequency, but it's only something like thirty feet. Well, with a lot of wireless stuff, so we're going to mention two point four, five, and six. There's a lot more stuff. There's a lot more of the um, spectrum which is used for a lot more applications. So, for you'll see sometimes on um, phone masts, you'll see there's some dishes and things. Uh, those are ultra-high frequency but ultra-high capacity sort of point-to-point devices. And they'll use anything from, they'll use 10 gigahertz, well, 10 gigahertz, 11, uh, 18, 24, uh, all the way up to 80 gigahertz sometimes. So I think the bit you're referencing is the the Wi-Fi element of 60 gigahertz, which hasn't really gone anywhere that much. No real consumer devices have started using it, but it is in use in something like, uh, so in the Ubiquiti world, you've got the Unified Building Bridge, You've also got the Giga Beams, as they use 60 gigahertz for point to point between buildings. It's got, got a a range of about 500 to 1.5 kilometers, so 500 meters to 1.5 kilometers. But they can do they can do up to two or three gigabit per second um, on on that sort of distance. Yeah. Wow. I, I I know of one installation where they had to they had a building and then they had an annex across the parking lot, and they did that. They they sent a signal from the main building to there and in it helped get the wi-fi signal because then they could then they had a router in the in the annex yep. that would send around and I, I was i was fascinated by that technology yeah so because linus linus has done some stuff on this i think chris has as well yeah so the the stuff linus did was using uh ubiquity's air fiber devices and what ubiquity have done and we'll get into a bit more later on they've they've used the um the, the 82.11 standard but stripped it back and added their own code on top to make it more efficient outdoors. What I'm on about with the Unified Building Bridge, that just uses um, AD um, for that. But the Giga Beams, the Air Fibers, they all use Ubiquiti's custom code and makes it more efficient and faster and over longer distances. So, yeah, so going back because um, going back to these frequencies, like to just help us understand a little bit about, again, as Jay said, as the frequency goes up, is it true that the speed gets faster, but the range can decrease quite a bit? Or is that always the case? It is. So think of it like a wave. So when you have a lower frequency, so I don't know, one gigahertz and lower in the megahertz space, the wave, it's very long and very far apart. Uh, it's hard for listeners to visualize it, but we'll, there'll be some links that we can put down. But when, you, when the frequency goes up, the wave becomes tighter. So what the, the bit you're on about is that once the frequency goes higher, it propagates less. As the case is with 2.4 gigahertz, it's starting to become pretty unusable in some scenarios because everything's using it now. So wireless headphones using it, microwaves, uh, just by design. Cordless phones. Yeah, yeah, Bluetooth receivers, wireless microphone receivers for filming and things. So um, it's starting to become less and less usable. Generally, nowadays, pretty much every device has 5 gigahertz support. So what I do at home is I have 2.4 disabled. I use it for... Uh, IoT devices like light switches and that sort of thing, but all my client devices are on five gigahertz. That's sort of the the best way to do it, really. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And 
and Jay made an interesting point about this sort of smart roaming, this smart, not roaming's the wrong word. Also, can I just make sure we, we, we are careful with the term? Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not at all wanting to put anyone down. Can we be very careful with the term Wi-Fi router? Because Wi-Fi router is not the correct term when we're talking about something that's not a bun maybe like for example your isp router or i guess i guess technically the udr is a wi-fi router yeah but if you're talking about just a wireless access point that's not a router in itself i just want to be very clear that not every wireless device is going to be its own router is that that's that's completely correct yeah 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 but but it is but it's not and it's one of the things we wanted to do on this episode is break some of that Jay is using a term that is so common. Yeah. Everyone just says Wi-Fi router, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. Yeah, so a typical router like a Netgear router, it's it's actually three devices in one. Um, it's, it's a wireless access point. It's a switch, which the switch is actually more important than you think. Like, it's doing a lot more than you think. And then it's got the routing as well. And if you think, a lot of that functionality, all of that functionality is being controlled by one CPU, which is a problem again. So yeah, it's, it's three devices in one, and... We, in enterprise scenarios, you have all of those devices separated out. You have dedicated, really super powerful uh, routers and firewalls and dedicated switches and then access points as well. So would it be safe to say, um, and this is me just trying, just trying to, to, to clarify for me and for the, and for listeners, the router would handle like all the DHCP and, and yep. The routing bit translates the devices internally with the wider internet, basically. That makes sense. Okay. And, and, and I appreciate that. Cause yeah, th- that is one where I, I had just put them all together and, and you're, and you make a very valid point on that. Yeah. And it's really interesting. I think, look, I think we'll put some links into the frequencies. 2.4 gigahertz. If you ever use one of those Wi-Fi scanning apps or something like that, it's just amazing. If, particularly if you're in a block of flats or a crowded neighborhood, you'll see so much. Now, we're going to talk about things you can do later to optimize maybe poor Wi Fi performance. And I think as a, as a spoiler for that, wouldn't it be great if you could go around your block of flats and agree with all your neighbors? Okay. You're on this frequency. You're on this uh, channel. You're on this one. You're on this one. I well, mean, you meant, you mentioned that. So apparently with the, the new BT hubs, I think it's coming soon or. Not yet, but oh, okay. if everyone in a house, if everyone in the street's got a BT hub, they'll all intelligently work out together which channels they should be on and correlate that. So obviously not everyone's going to have a BT hub because they're not the best thing to be using. Um, but, but that's for a lot of people, that's going to be quite cool. What, what was, what's kind of interesting with, with that is I do know that the, that the Eros also tend to, tend to do that in their, in their cloud that they, they try to work out where, which network is, is is what, and it's interesting that that you mentioned the different things because I just thought about something that I, I that it's 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 a it's not really a, it's not as much of a tangent. Amazon has been creating their own network per se called Amazon Sidewalk for internet access amongst all their devices. So it, it, I it, I'm not trying to like I just wanted to bring that up and, and we'll have a link in the show notes. But it's a very fascinating m- smaller network. Actually, let, let's come back to that because that's something, it's not in the show notes, but it's something I want to ask Alex about because Amazon aren't the only ones doing this. And yeah. So we've, we've talked a lot about the, you know, the frequencies. And it, so at the moment, Alex, obviously, um, five gigahertz is probably going to be, that's going to be now, if I remember correctly, um, 
I mean, putting eight hundred two dot eleven A aside because it's a bit of an odd one, yes, um, by itself. And but eight hundred two dot eleven N can be at five gigahertz, and I believe that means it's eight. So N N is Wi Fi four. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Now I have a quick quick question for you. A lot of people kicked off when some of Apple's newer HomePods only did Wi Fi four. Yep. That's not a problem though, is it? Because even though it obviously a it isn't going to have the fastest speed. I think if I remember, isn't N limited to about six hundred? Uh, it depends on what channel width they're using, but I think it's about about that. Now this is megabits now, but if you're all you're doing is music streaming and maybe sending stuff device to device, and obviously some thread stuff, you don't need super fast Wi-Fi, do you? You don't need AX. No, so 82.11n is 300 megabits. Obviously, on, I think you're on a 40 megahertz channel. But no, the, I understood ages ago wrongly that was it was said. Um, it's just a general thing that was understood was that your your network is only as fast is only as fast as your slowest device. What I stupidly thought that meant was, oh, if I've got um, ten devices connected to my network, one of them's 82.11n, but all of them are Wi-Fi five or AC. Oh, my whole network is going to be as slow as this this old device. Ah, because I thought that too. So, yeah. Okay, me too. Yeah, that isn't the case. What that what that saying means is that let's imagine you've got a gigabit internet connection, but you've got a router that's really rubbish and only capable of I don't know a couple hundred megabits. That's what it means. It means there's no point in having all these good things in line and having if you get what I mean. Yes, I get. No, I've got a really good example of that. Actually, that's a really good case. So that makes a lot of sense. So. In a previous job, we had uh, Virgin, Virgin Business came and fitted actually 200 megabit symmetric fiber yep. to our prop, to our building. Great. We were all wondering, why are we on, why are we getting like 60 or 70? Why is it not improving? And then I did a bit of investigation, sort of like the de facto head of IT. I'm like, I said to my RC, I said to our boss, I said, well, I can tell you why. All of our internal network switches, every single one of them is 100 megabits. Yeah. Now that means, because there's overhead on every, everything, right? I mean, yep. but even we could, we were probably saturating at 100 megabits and our internet was much faster. So we actually ended up replacing all our switches with, well, we went Unify, actually. Yep. We went, um, oh, that is one thing I wanted to address at the top of the episode. Sorry, and I've forgotten. It's just remind, reminded me. If I made the statement, Alex, that it is all, were possible, it is always better to run on Ethernet if you have the option would you agree or disagree with that statement? One hundred percent. And anything wired is going to be it's going to be so much better than wireless because, why? Well, I remember when I first started podcasting, you said to me, "Why are you using Bluetooth headphones?" So I was now using wired headphones. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say quite that as that um, that directly, did I? I might have done. But it, if you can use wired, so if you if you got um, an Xbox in your house and it's not quite performing as you want it to, try and try and make sure it's wired into Ethernet because that's. A wide connection is always going to be uh, the best the best choice. A great example, you'll see that in action. If you do, if you try uh, pinging between two of your devices on your network with both of them on, uh, either, one of them on Wi-Fi or one of them on Ethernet, or either way, you'll see the ping fluctuates. But the minute you go onto both of them being wired, that ping will be consistent. Even... And pe- this might shock people. Even something like Powerline Ethernet is going to have a more consistent ping than Wi-Fi because it's still wired. Yeah. Yeah. 
because we were I was I had set up an entire Ethernet connection from my from my uh, router over there to my computer, and I was thinking that I was good. All of a sudden, I find out that I had knocked the switch under my desk offline, and I was like, "That explains why I've been getting such inconsistent speed and connection and all that." Yep, that'll do it. Um, one interesting thing to also m- mention, because um, my parents won't be upset when I mention this part. No, no, go for it. Th- their house um, was built in 2003, and at the time was built with the fastest cat fi- or with the fat with the fastest Ethernet cables available. I think it was Cat Five or something like that. However, the the issue with that is as their internet speed gets faster. Those cables are actually becoming a limiting factor of how fast they can go because of the throughput of the Cat5. That's very similar to what James was mentioning with the Ethernet ports yeah. and the switches at work. I think it'd be Cat4, I think. Okay, yeah. Cat4, yeah. yeah. That's a massive yeah. difference, James, between the US and the UK. Like Houses, even 20 years ago, were being pre-wired with Ethernet. You imagine if that was the case here, that'd be amazing. It, yeah, <laughs> it would. It, would, it, it would be amazing. They wanted to be like, um, and, 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 like and, and, and bless them, they wanted to be forward thinkers for the future but the but the problem is because we who who knew that internet was going to go that yeah, yeah. fast in yeah. in progress so it was it probably wasn't so cat 5 was 100 was it it meant 5e is gigabit capable is uh i i you know i lose track of all this stuff but i think if maybe that's a good point if you are going to do a why a, a a network cable install Go for the. Is it fair to say, Alex? Go for the highest standard of cable that you can realistically afford at the time. As, as with anything, so when Wi-Fi six came out, everyone was hyped and hyped over it. It's the same with cables. A little bit like Cat 7's out now. It's not going to make. It's not really going to make a huge difference. Realistically, in twenty twenty three, Cat five E is still fine. Yeah, because Cat five E will do gigabit. Yeah, uh, Cat six will do ten gig, I believe. Cat six will do ten gig, but over a certain distance. I can't remember what that is. Yeah. I forget what I I forget what cables I bought when I was outfitting my apartment, but I did buy something that was that was capable and enough for what I was going to have in my apartment and and and, and for the future. Yeah. I think I think to be fair, the cable that runs between the studio in here and the lounge, I think it's either five. I think it's either five e or six. I think it might be five. I think it's six. I think I put cat six in uh, to run around. Anyway, let's go on. Because we could spend all day talking about Ethernet and standards and everything. I want to talk a little bit about some common misunderstandings. We've already talked about one of them, about slowest devices and maybe the naming. But Alex, let me ask you this. How many times, I missed, and UJ as well, uh, how many times have you heard people say, oh, my Wi-Fi is down? Oh, yeah. Yep. I I had actually had this the, this case at... At work, and, and I and and um, recently someone was like the the Wi-Fi is down, or the, the, someone said the internet's down. And I'm like, okay, our our wired in devices are up, so that means I need to contact our support and and ask them about the the access points that we had because those were down. But you know, it, but yeah, as soon as as soon as the access points were down, everyone thought the internet was down. I'm like, no. Oh, it, the R street works both ways, doesn't it? Actually? It does. That's a very good point. Yeah, Alex, help us understand what. Why do people think that? Why? Why? Why have we got that conception that if your internet connection has gone down, like we? I mean, look in this country. Oh, I see what you mean. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. What you, you yours is a valid point as well. Yes, it is. Re- recently in this country here in the uk two of our isps had major outages virgin media had nearly a whole day outage yes 
I mean, that does not surprise you with Virgin Media. And then um, Vodafone had an outage. Actually, thankfully, it only affected me for about 10 minutes, but Vodafone's, uh, I think their VDSL network went down. Uh-huh. And ev- I saw the social media, Vodafone, my Wi-Fi's down again. Yeah. Fix it. <laughs> <laughs> help, help us under, why has that become a misconception? That Actually, interesting, that, that outage with, with uh, Virgin Media was incredibly complicated. It was actually a, a, a BGP level of routing. So that the, the, the top end of their, of their core network, someone managed to figure out that they basically went offline. Like they went, they were deleted from like the, the routing network, which was, Oh, <laughs> so it took them a while to get back on. Very similar to what Facebook had a few years ago as well. So they, they stopped being advertised, basically. But yeah, the main difference is the internet connection is the connection is coming to the house from the ISP. So if the internet went down, nothing in the entire house would work. So the devices connected to the Wi-Fi network couldn't work, but they'd still be connected. You'd still be able to talk internally, wouldn't you? Like yeah. for, so, for example, if, if, if my internet connection went down here... I could still talk to my NAS, for example, or I could still, mm, I could still talk to my Plex service. Some stuff will, HomePods wouldn't work because they need an outbound internet connection, but AirPlay still would. Yeah, because like, I, yes. I, I think my Hulites have worked internally, not externally. Yeah, because that, that, again, that's communication. You wouldn't be able to use Siri to do that. No. But you would be able to use HomeKit because it's going internally and then going to the Hue Bridge and then going out of the Zigbee. So internal, and, and I think Alex, that's a great illustration, isn't it? If it's anything external that's not working, it's your internet connection. Yep. If you can't reach your internal devices, there's something wrong with your internal network, which is possibly the Wi-Fi. Yep, definitely. And th- that's why I have actually seen more and more routers offer backup services like i like like james mm. i know you have a backup a, a backup usb stick that that you that, that you could plug in and then you could connect your router to to for its internet uh my my euros have internet backup that i could actually hook up my my phone's hotspot to oh it. that's cool that's really cool and, yeah and 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 because like and and I've actually I utilized it the other day when my when my actual ISP went down for maintenance and I needed to do work internally I I, I connected my hotspot to my Eero and it was back on it was back online I mean that's such a cool feature uh, can we can we just say even Alex correct me if I'm wrong even Ubiquity's routing like the UDR doesn't do that. I don't. I, I mean, you you can do redundant connections on anything above a UDR, yep. but you can't join it to a hot to no, a. That's a very. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm going to get to, to one uh, one stipulation though. It requires you to and to uh, to have a subscription to their their Eero Plus service, which oh, we'll, and we'll come back to that. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, but it is a. It, I think that was a very good distinction because, yeah, sometimes it is more complex than than it seems like initially. That that like it's it's your source of the, your internet. Yep. Now, I mean, look in Vodafone's case, this uh, I didn't realize this is just um uh, this is just a USB four uh, G dongle. Yep. And what I didn't realize in terms of this is only meant to be used with their, their router. Their routers have a USB socket. And in this case, I'm using the term router because it is a combined device. Yep. And it will automatically fail over to the 4G if the VDSL goes down. I think in, in the new case, it'll be for fiber goes down now. 
I'm not going to be using Vodafone's gear. I'm going to be direct. I'm going to be using UDR. So I lose that ability. However, I can always plug this into um, into my Mac. But that's very, very cool that um, Eero does that. And Vodafone. And I think BT have got that as well because BT uh, now own BT and EE are part of the same. Yep. And I, I'm trying to think of who else in the United States does that. But I, I know a few other ISPs yeah. do have a fallback because many times... Be- the, the either the uh, cables not 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 consistent. So uh, look, if if you're uh, be really interesting though, if your ISP offers you that four G backup, um, and, and you're maybe you know maybe you're in the UK, I'd love to hear from people. Does does your ISP offer you some form of backup? I know my friend Joel had his. Oh, is it Gig Giga Clear, Alex? One of the fiber of the fiber providers. Yeah, they're. They had a massive outage, and I think it's because someone had actually literally gone through the fiber on on a main road. Oh, which yeah, I hope yeah. And he's like, I, I need a backup connection because I, you know, he worked from home. He ended up buying, and this is probably overkill for for most people. He ended up buying a a second, so he had TP Link Deco, which we'll come to mesh later. But he had that, and then he bought like a TP Link Dual WAN router and pays for a second Vodafone VDSL connection and then has them as a failover. So, I mean, look, it, if you need to do that, do that. It, is it one thing I did? Well, it's probably worth mentioning. Yeah, we all work from home. Just bear in mind that your typical ISP contract from Virgin Media, from Vodafone, does not guarantee uptime. They are not business-grade contracts. Yep. So they don't have the service level agreements to fix. If you called Rod and say, I need to do my work. Well, I'm very sorry, sir. This is not a business contract would be the response you got back. Yeah. Cause I, I, I I've been involved in actual business internet negotiations and their, their, the uptime is actually part of the contract and they'll, they'll pay you and all that for downtime. Absolutely. All right. Let's talk about the dick. Let's talk about Wi-Fi. Maybe one of the biggest myths. Well, we're talking about Wi-Fi. Let's talk about one of the biggest myths around Wi-Fi. Maybe wireless in general, that Wi-Fi is dangerous. I remember doing tech support and trying to get someone to, you know, say, look, you know, is your Wi-Fi working? Oh, no, we've turned our Wi-Fi off because the Wi-Fi is in our child's bedroom and we don't want to get irradiated. Well, and, and, and ever, ever since I've had my, uh, my, uh, COVID shot, my, I, I actually am getting better internet connection. <laughs> oh, no, Jay, please don't fuel that. Please don't fuel that on this show. I mean, I'll, I'll... <laughs> but no, similar, similar origin stories. Yeah. Is, is the, is the dangerous. And I, I, I've heard that like that the, that, that it's dangerous to have that next to you. Alex, can you help us debunk this myth? Why? First of all, is it even remotely true? And why, how can, why do people think it's true? Oh, that's a good question. So as I, as I mentioned earlier, sort of Wi-Fi hasn't really been around for that long, really. 20 years or 26 years. General scheme of things, it's not really that long. And as, as always with anything new, there's always going to be some questions about its safety and, and there's different, lots of different mixed messages and things. So the, the main thing was about radiation. The official sort of communication is that the frequencies that we're exposed to day to day are what what you call non-ionizing. Um, so they're not gonna they're nowhere near powerful enough to heat up water molecules in your body, basically. So it's a non-ionizing. Oh, hang on, does that mean I can't use my UDR as a microwave? <laughs> <laughs> Alex, Alex is looking at me for like a what? Are you, this is a look of disgust. Like, oh, that's a terrible joke. 
Yeah. So a lot of studies and stuff. And there was the same, the same thing happened with mobile phones as well. So there was a TV show that Richard Hammond did in 2004 called Should I Worry About? And one of the episodes was called Mobile Phones. And I'll, I'll link it, I'll link it down uh, in the show notes for you. But it, it's, it's quite funny to watch it all this time on. And the amount of people are so concerned about mobile phone towers and that sort of thing. Um, even the mobile phone t- So as you get higher and higher in the frequency space, it does become less safe to be around. But what people don't realize is the mobile phone frequencies are way lower than Wi-Fi because of the distance it has to control. Sorry, distance it has to go over because obviously um, when you go lower frequencies, they go further. So yeah, the general consensus is it's, it's, it's definitely fine to be around. So that's good. You're gonna love this joke. When I was explaining Wi-Fi to my and to my niece and nephews, and how Wi-Fi signals are, I told my niece, "Well, if you ever want to get your, um, if you ever want to get your brother to leave you alone, tell him he's blocking your Wi-Fi." <laughs> well, technically speaking, he yes, would be. Yes, he like, would be. Yeah. yeah. So I, and I, and I told him, and, and she, just, she laughed. I mean, look, and, and, and my nephew in question is quite tall. Um, yes. So, so in fact, all three of Jay's nephews are quite tall. So, hey, you know, nephews, if you're listening to this episode, and, and nephews, mum, I know you listen to our show. If you ever have Wi-Fi signals, just tell your sons to move over a little bit. <laughs> I, I, I definitely, I, I understand the concern because everything that you have around you. Now, can I also stop a, here's a, here's a, a misconception I wanted to ask you about, Alex. Mm-hmm. One time someone was was telling me, well, whenever we open the, the door, the Wi-Fi tends to go down. Like, like they would, that, that was a, and I tried explaining that that's not a, quite how it works. But whenever they said, whenever they open the front door, the, where would, would there be any truth to that? Or is that just them trying to find an anecdote to explain something? Well, it'd be more when you've clocked the door closed. So on, I think we all three of us use Mac OS, if you click on option and then click on the wi-fi icon it'll open up more more information about the a dbm level of the of the wi-fi connection as well i've noticed before that when doors have been closed i'll lose about three or four dbs on five gigahertz so it's more that when things are objects are in the way like metal or wood or really old buildings that the wi-fi just gets absorbed and that's more the case with higher frequencies because it, it propagates less so Thanks, because because I, I, I tried I tried explaining that in one way, but I it was I wanted to, I wanted to ask you directly because because yeah they would they would always be like oh the Wi Fi went down <laughs> let let's move on I think the next thing we should talk about and it's oh this is one of my my pet peeves about about people's Wi Fi setups I'm gonna flip this around a little bit Alex if you've got poor wi-fi in your in your in your flat in your home and you're using say a off-the-shelf consumer grade wi-fi router and i do mean router in this case i mean maybe isp provided or something like you know i don't know maybe a net gear or a bell kit to bell no i don't think even bell can make access points at um, what routers they mother used to do uh, or something like that what is the solution to a well actually no it's the solution to buy wi-fi extenders so I think what so if you've got if you've got a relatively large house um or a house that's quite old and you walk away from the Wi-Fi router, you'll see on your phone that the signal level's gone down. So in the very simple the simple layer of putting a Wi-Fi extender in, yes, that will improve the connection that you'll have to your phone, if that makes sense. Right. So that that will essentially improve the 
the signal level between your phone and the Wi-Fi extender. With anything network-based, you've got to, you've got to take in consideration how is that device connecting to the, the main router. So, so Wi-Fi extenders, they're essentially taking, taking the information from the Wi-Fi router, digesting it, and then moving it on. And that takes a lot of time and a lot of, um, well, it just takes a lot of time. So you'll generally find that anything mesh-based, not mesh-based, but extender-based, it will take, uh, well, general rule of thumb is it will take half of the speed away. Right. So, and so let me just make sure. So, so what we're saying is, yes, you will see a stronger signal on your device because by the very nature, you are now closer to an access point, yes. in this case, the extender. Yep. But... If you put, let's say, the, at the point that you get down to, say, two bar, two, I don't want to buy, I hate the word bars, but two signal marks yep. on the Wi-Fi thing, your phone, the, the, the signal that the extender gets is identical to the poor signal that your phone would get. It's then trying to boost that signal and and probably with an overhead, which means actually you will probably, would it be fair, you'll probably end up being worse off potentially because there's the overhead of the extender as well. Am I making sense? Yes. So if you're if you've got a two story house and upstairs in one of the bedrooms, your laptop cannot it can see the signal, but so see the Wi Fi connection, the SSID for it, but can't authenticate. It's just too weak to authenticate. Yes, a Wi Fi extender will allow your laptop to get some level of connection. If that makes sense, it, it, it is a solution, but it isn't one of the best solutions like that's there's any, like anything there's always good and bad solutions so i've got i i've got a question on that are we talking the extender being a ethernet backhaul or or wi or wireless backhaul yep wireless so okay that then that because jay you've just really tipped onto the point that i was just going to ask some of these extenders actually are power line based and so they aren't taking a backhaul from an, from the same Wi-Fi, they're then effectively creating a copy of the network, of a copy of the SSID, but the backhaul's a power line. Would they be more reliable than traditional Wi-Fi extenders, would you say? Well, I'll just mention, what, one of my big pet peeves with these Wi-Fi extenders and the power line adapter ones, they, they don't do what's called BSSIDs properly, or na- neighbouring information. So if you've got, um, like, J-Zero's system, um, the, your, your phone will see one SSID, and it'll actually properly connect to the nearest access point what i found with the extenders is they'll just make a separate ssid and your phone your phone gets very confused about what to do oh yes because that's what that, that's one of the things i i i actually set up a extender system i used i, I used actually had ethernet between t- the the two extenders and they were sharing the same ssid but yeah i would find that my phone would still either shut down i mean i just like depending on the device the device would just not do anything or it would sometimes connect to the wrong ssid even if they looked the same inside of the side of the system but that's because visit this the ssid i mean alex so we said the bssid is the yeah so what it is what it is it's a basic service set um and that that generally means that it's it's the matching ssid and then compatible uh authentication and then also there's some sort of communication between the, the devices. So, um, but yeah, the BSSID is what it, what your phone uses to differentiate the access points within a office or a house. So I did not know about that. That's a warning for me. And that then moves us on to mesh because correct me if I'm wrong, Alex, when you've got a proper mesh system, they are using the same BSSID. They are. 
and yep. so and so it knows how to properly roam. So let's talk about mesh Wi-Fi first of all. I mean, mesh mesh Wi. How does that work? How is it? Because how is it better than just repeating the signal with a Wi-Fi extender? What what makes it different? So for one, it's doing the the service set properly, so your phone knows what to do. Uh, generally, the so with the Wi-Fi extenders, there isn't any dedicated radios to do all the backhaul. So, like J Zero, there'll be a dedicated, uh, dedicated radio. So, in the ones I'm familiar with, you'll have a 2.4 gigahertz radio for the clients, a 5 gigahertz radio for the clients, and also a third 5 gigahertz radio for clients. Sorry, for the backhaul. So that that third radio will be dedicated for doing backhaul, kind of like a point-to-point uh, network, um, and that will that will have a dedicated frequency for it as well, um, and that will make sure that the 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 a good amount of bandwidth or throughput is a, is assigned to that access point, and they generally work pretty okay, uh, to be honest. And so basically, what we're saying is that your a mesh system like Eero, like TP Link Deco, Amplify as well. Ampli- yeah, I keep forgetting about Amplify as a product. Yeah, it's expensive, but I've heard good things about it. Yep, I've actually been in places that have used Amp- Amplify. Uh, okay, so I, I'm not like as a, a consumer or as a um. As a person, but I, I've I, I've seen that the the places that have used that. It's very interesting how much mesh gear is on, on the market now, uh, and how affordable it is. And am I right that mesh was much more on the enterprise level for a long time? But was not as mu- was not as available to consumers. Kind of, yeah, not like it is now. So the I think I think when you've got when you've got the office building with Ubiquiti access points or Cisco access points, generally. That's kind of referred to as mesh sometimes, but the the big differentiator with that is the backhaul for those devices are Ethernet. Okay, so that's a, a wired backhaul. Interestingly, some some mesh solutions uh, can actually have wi- uh, wide backhaul as well. I think yours can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Eero Ira has that. Vivo can. Some of the decos can. Uh, the Linksys Velop can. I think higher end. I mean, well, I don't look. I'll be honest. The Netgear Orbi, stay away from junk it's junk <laughs> my parents house has Eero, and they have um some of their your devices are ethernet backhaul and then they have these little beacons yes that you can plug into a power and th- those are wire wireless back- backhaul but it but i think i've got to say wherever i am in their house i've got internet so i i mean i i, I of course set that up so <laughs> i made sure it was good for them but yeah so, Jay, you put something in here because we talked a little bit about how mesh works. And um, I'll see if we can find some. Uh, Alex, can we find a, a good, or Jay, can we find a good, sort of nice video demonstration of how mesh works for our, for our listeners to, to look at? I think someone's done some good stuff on this. But yeah, and uh, on some of you, Ubiquiti have started to bring out like true mesh, haven't we? Like mesh access points which do use a wireless backhaul that aren't Ethernet. I think, is it a U6 mesh? Yeah, so back in like 2016. 20- 16, 17. Uh, that Ubiquiti launched the AC mesh, the little little X point, little bunny, as I call it. Um, oh yeah, those yeah. those are sort of proper Wi-Fi mesh devices. U six mesh. So all of Unifax points can do mesh. It's just like a branding thing. Um, they've got that. They've got like a U six beacon as well, which is designed for US outlet sockets to sort of cover up both sockets that are top down, like one at the top, one at the bottom. Provides coverage like a garage or something. We don't need much bandwidth, but um, there was one network, one that was really interesting. It seems I haven't heard much from recently. Plume. Yeah, I was looking at Plume, and f- what was interesting about Plume was because of how small the devices are. I I I, I was watching a CNET video on this. 
they need that those you have to have more more plumes to whereas like i like even like an Eero has a wider range but from what i've been told plume is really nice because they have a lot of features yeah yeah i i was impressed with plume and, and if i i went all in on Eero for my parents house but plume was one that I, I was very interested in now one one big issue about uh mesh in, in particular for instance AT&T in the, in the states has has a has their modem you you can't separate the modem from the router you have to leave the you have to leave the router active what you can do you can put the ear onto a DMZ but sometimes so then that way you can you don't have to put your your um router or ap into a bridge mode but sometimes you do uh, if you have to do a bridge mode you do sometimes lose some features that uh, that the that that certain mesh ne- ne- that certain mesh systems rely on because of, of how they do different things. So, it, so are you are you talking about where you because even a Alex, even a mesh system like Redeco, like a lot of these, can be put into access point mode. I guess at that point, what you would is it? I think maybe uh, if you put something in because all of these can do uh, be act as a one of them will act as your router, one of them will act mm-hmm. as your uh, you know external router. But if you put them into a uh, into AP mode, then they will still act as a Wi-Fi mesh, but just as access points, not as. Or is that not quite the case? Yeah. So in your home network, you want you only want one device being a router. So. We're, if you if you have two devices of routers, the the device like the modem router from the ISP, and you have another one behind it, you will have a, a situation of what we call double NAT. It's a little bit technical for some of the listeners, maybe, but yeah. So you have you have ideally in, in one in a house, you have, you want one device being the router. If you have double NAT situation, you'll have problems with things like VoIP phones with VPNs and Xbox generally. So you want to avoid that. I think what Jay was referring to with the features of the Wi-Fi mesh devices was, um, for what I remember, something like the Google Wi-Fi devices, they had like client controlling features, like you could schedule the time that certain devices connect. You can inspect the packets that go through it. And I think if you disable the routing feature of the Wi-Fi uh, mesh device, you're essentially throwing away those features and sort of not using them. Yeah. Because, like on on the Eero, you lose, for instance, family profiles, Eero Plus, um, Eero Labs, and on that one, uh, you lose things like there's WPA three on Eero Labs. Uh-huh. Um, there's client steering. There's quality of service. Um, so, so y- y- you in essence still allow it, but you have to you have to. Um, there are some actual features that that the mesh system can do better. Yes. But if you go into bridge mode, you lose some features. So to, just to be clear, do we, do we just to, just because I think what's happened, I, I might be wrong, but I think we're getting terms. We're talking about going into, into AP mode where, where the modem still acts. The modem from the ISP is the combined router. Yes. That's DVN out DHCP. That's controlling the devices. Whereas the access points, the mesh is access point only, which yeah. means. Yeah, so what, what we're saying is, by definition, if those access points aren't controlling the routing of the internet traffic and handing out the addresses, they can't control what those devices do. Yeah, so the same with TP-Link Deco. If you, if you put it into access point mode, you don't get quality of service because it's not the final destination of the packets. Is that... 100%, yeah. 
Yeah, and like and like on an Eero, you lose WPA three, you lose client steering. So WPA WPA three makes no sense to lose. It makes that no on. sense. Yeah, I I don't I don't get why they did it that way, but that's how they that's how they did it on. Oh, do you know what? I wonder if it's if it is that locked behind Eero plus. Not Eero plus, but it's in their Eero labs, which you lose access to if you go into bridge mode. I I don't that understand makes all the no. Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. but I I just I wanted to put it out there because. I, there are some certain features you do lose on a on a system if you go into bridge mode. So you, uh, well, you want to be a, AP mode again. I'm trying okay because I w- so bridge mode is something. Sorry, Jay, I, I don't mean to. No, no yeah, because we want to be re- again. We want to be really clear. Bridge mode is actually something good. Bridge mode is where your ISP. So, for example, Virgin Media's mode, but super hubs they are far from super can be put into bridge mode or modem only mode and what that means is the they just act as the modem right and that that means you then your Eero, your deco your whatever mesh is acting as the router right they get for the ethernet cable that you go out the back of your say virgin media super hub or whatever uh, a, uh or comcast mode and whatever the cable that goes into the um, Eero, for example, in Jay's case, that will just pass on the external IP. It's just a modem. That's what we mean by bridge mode. Double NAT is where, and Alex is right, effectively what you end up with is a firewall there on the, the router and a, another firewall on the other router, the access point. Now, you can sort of work around that. So, for example, you can sort of work around it by putting the access point into the router's DMZ, but it's messy and risky. If, I'll give people a pro tip, if you are a Vodafone customer in the UK, and maybe many, uh, plus that also, and you're on VDSL, go and buy one of the, uh, a used BT OpenReach VDSL modem. Um, I, I will try and find the link in to put in the show notes. Buy those, contact Vodafone support, they will give you the PPPOE details, and you can use your own modem which means you then never have to worry about double NAT. It, and they're about twenty quid on eBay. It's I've got one. It's worth every penny. And I and I, and I need to apologize. I got confused by Eero calls their AP mode bridge mode. So that was where my confusion came That's from. That's interesting, but but I mean, and that from I mean, Alex, that seems like a silly term to call it. Well, it kind of makes sense a little bit because essentially the the Eero is well, bridge mode typically refers to a, mo- a device that has a modem built in. I guess. It's kind of a loose term, I guess. <clears throat> yeah, but but that's why I was getting confused. I apologize, Jay. Oh no, because because in Eero's case, by bridge mode, the the DSGB is handled by your by whatever device is in front of the Eero, right? And the and the Eero itself just handles the AP access. Yeah, I just want to point out. So we me- we mentioned double NAT. So if you do happen to have problems with things like VPN services. So if you yeah if you've purchased one of these mesh systems and just plugged it in and wondering why you're getting some sort of weird issues with Xbox and PlayStation and these sort of gaming services and VPN services that's probably the case you've probably got the ISP modem in router mode and you've probably got the Wi-Fi device mesh system in router mode as well so they're both doing two jobs at the same time. <laughs> the way you will notice that a really big tip how you'll notice it if you go into your mesh system and you get a what and your ex and what it says your one IP. WAN, uh, which is your meant to be the external IP, is a one nine two or similar address. Is Alex? That's a fair guess that you're in double NAT, right? Yeah, the the internal IP ranges you'll see one nine two one six eight. You'll see one seventy two 
dot something and then 10 dot something. Anything else will be a public IP address. So if you see an internal network range as the one address, what your what your mesh system thinks is your external IP, then you're in double NAT. Yep. And in the United States, I don't know how it is in the UK, you can tip it um you you can typically lower your your monthly cable bill by either using your own modem or like in my case I declined the Wi-Fi router that they wanted to provide me. Our ISPs don't seem to do that, do they, Alex? Like they just seem to go on. The only one I found that does is a company called Cuckoo. Um, so they're an ISP that uses OpenReach's network. Um, and the guy who started that company, another guy called Alex, is such a nice guy. Uh, and that company is doing some cool stuff. And if you go through and order their broadband service, you can say, I don't want your router. And they'll, they'll tell you on their help center exactly what to do to, to install your own router and stuff. So I wish every ISP did that. Like my ISP wanted to give me a Wi-Fi router. And I was like, no, I already have one. I just need your modem. And, um, but some of the ISPs here, even the modem itself will be a monthly charge and you can go for your own. Now, the, the one caveat on that, at least in the United States, if you go for your own modem, your ISP will not support you as well. So you, you want to be very careful when you do that. You're kind of on your own in that territory. That's true here as well. Vodafone will insist. It's why I keep the router around, but it will insist that I plug back in their stuff i don't know if that'll be the case when I, if i'm trying full fiber again we'll see if a city fiber can actually connect this time folks i remember in the early days of of even broadband here i got in trouble with my old isp back then because if i even had a netgear ethernet router behind my modem they got upset because because back then <laughs> they were like what are you doing <laughs> putting a, a router behind our modem and like their modem didn't do anything other than like just had like eaten it. I think that would have been misconceptions on their side. I don't. I think it was huge misconceptions yeah. on their side. But this is the early days of broadband. So one, object we just hinted on this as well, and it's something I'm I'm wanting to ask both of you experience on. So Jay mentioned. Let, let's talk about first of all. Should you replace your ISP provided all in one Wi-Fi router? Is it a foregone conclusion that that router is going to be a piece of junk alex your experience from the uk side not always so if you've got a small flat or something then and not many devices you live i don't know one or two people you're probably going to be fine if you found that some areas and also we're going to get to it later but put where you put your router is a big a big thing so i was i was recently looking at um some houses uh and a lot of these new builds they they put the ter- they terminate the internet connection under the stairs. I'd imagine that quite a few people would just put the router under the stairs as well, and then we'll wonder why they can't pick up Wi-Fi upstairs. Should be. <laughs> oh yes. So no, not all the ISP provided routers are going to be absolute rubbish. So the, the standard BT ones are okay-ish. They're okay. If you have got a large family, I don't know, two two parents and two or three kids, and you're all doing things at the same time, and you've got a lot of space, the Generally, the thing that's going to going to harm you is the the drop off in signal levels in the extremities of the house and in the garden and that sort of thing. So um, it just depends. But and that's a really interesting, yeah. Because I I know, for example, so um, I know my my sister, for example, has had some issues recently where my you know they're in a relatively small house, but they've got the Sky router stuck in the corner by the TV where the phone point is or behind the TV. Yeah, behind the TV. (laughs) 
I, I'm, I'm assuming by your expression, but putting a router behind a TV is probably not a good idea. Well, no, so anything metal, it's going to... Yeah, so anything inside a TV, there's a lot of metal, there's a lot of screen and a lot of materials, and if you put it behind quite a thick TV, you're going to have some issues, so... That's a really good point. And obviously you've then got maybe you've know, got other emissions going on around there, particularly for, you know, you've got lots of devices um, around there. I know she does. But the problem is she, you know, my nephew's room is not getting enough signal. In her case, because she's doing a lot of stuff on Wi-Fi, he's got multiple devices and is wanting to do high bandwidth stuff. And they haven't got a massively high-speed connection. We'll be fixing that. But in her case, a mesh system is going to be good for them now. From the U.S. side, mm. not all of the ISPs provided routers are bad either. Okay. Um, I was actually just looking at the one. If I were to have taken the ISP provided router mm. with the f- subscription fee, it actually isn't too bad. Now, they mentioned something called total home coverage. I was trying to find specifics. The The actual device itself does Wi-Fi 6. Um, okay. It does a lot of things internally. Um, and it, the total home coverage, I don't know if it's mesh or or in or just an AP extender. Xfinity, Comcast Xfinity. There is an interesting thing that last I heard, they actually were using Plume for their extra thing. So what I've been told is theirs might not be bad. So it all depends on your ISP. I would say that my parents' ISP, I would not recommend their 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 the router that they have. But it all depends on who your ISP is in the in the states. Actually, that's a Good point, because here in the UK, Alex Krim, BT are do, doing like the whole whole mesh thing, aren't they? I was just on the website for that. Yeah, I forgot. I actually forgot about it. They're doing like a, a pack of, they look like coasters that have been sort of put on the side. You put those around the house and it should do a okay-ish job. And sometimes, in my opinion, unless it, you, you have to factor in the costs, you have to factor in technical support. Yeah, of course. Sometimes it might just be better off to go with those it all depends on on how much work you want to go and how much research you want to do yeah in my opinion i mean i don't think uh, but so i've got a udr which was actually i mean look (laughs) alex did mean did me and jay a great deal on buying my udr and it has been fantastic but i'm i know my way around a network i don't think alex we're suggesting that everyone should go out and install unify in their home right it's definitely a learning experience i've watched quite a few youtubers buy it for the first time and say just to sort of a precursor, this is quite a big learning curve. Um, you've got, you have to have some networking knowledge. You actually do an incredibly good job of making it easy though. Oh um, yeah. The, the interface for it is, is, is it blows anything out of the water. Yeah. It, it makes, it makes networking management very easy. Um, so it does, I guess it all depends on your scenarios. Now, what about like things, routers that have subscriptions for extra services, Alex, like Eero Plus? I know Plume have a subscription for their stuff. Yeah. And I think, uh, I'm not sure if I know of any others. Like T- TP-Link have the Home Guard, but it's like this, oh, we'll give you all this free. But it's not really a subscription, but it is an online service. It's their, it's kind of their idea, idea uh, sorry, intru- it's basically their security feature set. Do you think that there are there is a value in those extra protection features like network wide anti malware, um, family controls, things like that? Are they worth paying for if if it's a, an optional extra on on a uh, on a mesh system? I'm not sure. Um, so something like the UDR you've got that's got all the features that comes with it for free. So it's got 
intrusion prevention intrusion prevention so if not if people aren't too sure what that means it will actually be scanning all the traffic that's coming in and out your network and saying whoa hold up this this looks a bit dodgy and block it um and you can even do a lot of traffic traffic routing so there's a lot of stuff with the udr that even that the good price point the udr is a lot of stuff comes with it for free i think jay be more better to say on what things that she's got with Eero plus and what what sort of features come with that so uh Eero plus you get um a subscription to Malwarebytes if you need that, to Encrypt.me VPN. Um, you also get access to a 1Password family account. Um, you get access to – I am not as impressed with their DNS anymore. They used to use Zscaler, and they've moved to this new one I'm not as impressed on. Um, I'm actually trying to get a Pi so I can actually move to a Pi hole for that. You do get access to um, threat blocking, ad blocking, and different things. So there are some – some benefits to Eero Plus, but I would personally say not as much as there used to be. I think since Amazon acquired them, uh-huh. I've seen their service go down. Yeah. Yeah. I can't think of many others, Alex, that, that do a subscription. As you said, VDR. Now, look, let, should we just put something in context here? Right? Because you said it at a great price it is, and I agree with you. The, the UDR retail, what is it, about 200 to something? £195, and then for our US listeners and Jay, it is... Jay's in the US? Oh, oh, I see what you mean, and Jay, okay, yeah. Uh, It's £199, so it's actually probably cheaper. Yeah, that works out at £160, which that's always the case. Any electronics I've seen that are on sale in both countries, it always works out cheaper when you convert it, so... (laughs) Is that including VAT, though, on our side, Alex? I don't think it is, is it? Oh, it is, it is. Oh, is it? That's including VAT. Bear in mind, in the US, they will have to pay sales tax. Sales tax is yeah. never factored uh, in to US I never pricing. understood that, to be honest. It's, <laughs> it is. I hate it. Because it, you think, oh, this is great. Oh. <laughs> you get like a, I will say the UDR was not available when I bought my router, but I definitely would have gone for UDR. Because can I just say like some of those cool things you get, like even like teleport. You get your own VPN access. Yes. And yeah. I have to say that Ubiquity has, has gone a long way on their consumer devices on managing because I remember, I I remember like listening to a lot of like to like Marco talking about trying to get his old his old Ubiquity stuff going. He had to like open up on a web portal interface, and they've gone a long way. Still is it? It still is a web portal. Yeah. The difference is, I think, that the UDR combines all it is hardware wise it is a wi-fi router it has a switch it has a router it has a router it has um a wi-fi access point uh and it then has the unified controller and i think yeah it has a unified controller so all that in one but with much more powerful hardware than you would get in an isp router Uh i mean this thing has two poe ports folks i know and it can run unifies protect software which is uh, we are um, waiting waiting for um, for someone to come back to us on that we are going to be doing an episode like, i think with alex I'm, you're on, on this one aren't you if we yep. get tom's oh you know what not to put tom under where tom has actually already said he'd come back and do it so we're going to do an episode about things like unify protect and synology surveillance station and then on just to leave not to leave any home kit users out um l- probably next month we're going to be to- hopefully talking Stephen robles again about home kit secure video so different ends of the scale but <clears throat> alex i didn't put this in the show note mm-hmm. because i want to we do want to talk about some of the other cool stuff quick take if you had uh, and if you haven't it's absolutely fine have you had any experience of apple's home kit 
routing stuff, the stuff they've been working on with, uh, I think Linksys have some, and old versions of the Eero did, but don't anymore. And I have been using the Eero HomeKit, by, by the way, on my side too. Have so. they taken the feature away? They have on some of the oh. modern um, devices. Mine was one of the last ones to include it. I see. But as of right now, they might be bringing it back. But as of right now, some of the n- newer devices do not have HomeKit. Because oh. I, yeah. I see. I haven't used it, um, but a lot of the functionality that it does offer in a one-click button, I have implemented using file rules myself um, for HomeKit. So, yeah, it's, it's essentially, as you'll probably talk about in a different episode, uh, with Stephen, but um, it's essentially doing some very advanced firewall rules in a one-click button. Oh, I know what you... Okay, so so you can do... A, look, I can do this on my Unify work and say, okay, nothing on the guest network, or oh, sorry, the, I, the idiot network, ID10T network, my my network for... I'm trying to gradually move everything across. Yeah. Help people get that joke. ID10T. I've got all my... And they can't talk to anything on the main network or on the network I've set up for my work devices. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm that nerdy, folks. I have a separate network for my work-issued devices because I don't want them getting onto my NAS, for example. Yeah. Yeah, because um, I have it set up on, on my on my Eero router, and what's cool is is you can actually add device, HomeKit devices through Eero, and then you then um, – they will. You can say, "Hey, I want. I, I only want inbound, outbound, so you can control at a fine level." It's really cool. Yeah, because because let's be like your 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 light bulbs, your thermostat mm, probably doesn't need internet access. No, no. So I've got I've got some LifeX light bulbs at home. They're on their own SSID, and they're on a they're on a, a network group that's called NOT. So nothing of things. <laughs> Um, <laughs> nice. And they're they're banned from using all internet access, any network access. The only thing they're allowed to do is use multicast to the home to the Apple TVs. That makes sense. And, yeah. and now, quick question on that, Alex: How does that affect things like firmware updates, or do they get done through the LifeX app? Well, so I can't actually update the software on them. I have to give them internet access again temporarily, oh, update the okay, software, right. and then do it. But I, n- I never really bother, bother. So No, okay, fair enough. I guess if we're not exposed to the internet, it's not really a, a problem, is it? Uh, no. But anyway. Can I add some real-time follow-up from Eero? Eero Pro 6E and Eero 6 Plus do not support Apple HomeKit, and we have no plans to offer Apple Apple's oh. HomeKit router functionality in the Eero Pro 6E and Eero 6 Plus. We will continue to fully support other Apple HomeKit features. That sucks. That's a shame. I know. I, uh, I'm gonna you guess. You know what? You know why? Because Amazon, right? Well, well, what I'm actually guessing, and I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be on their defense. Those two devices probably are maxed on what they can do in this generation because they, they, they are now doing like multi gigabit stuff. I don't think it's that though, Jay. It's I don't. No, I think it is. I think it is far more. Amazon do not want to be promoting HomeKit above the. Alexa stuff. I could see that, yeah. So, and one reason why I want to move away from Eero at some point. <laughs> All right. Let's 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 move on to something Alex sort of hinted at earlier. Alex put this down as amazing use cases. Now, it's kind of this, and I agree. So, let's talk about wisps. Not wasps, but wisps. What is a wisp? So, yeah, I hinted at it earlier. So, I used to work at one for probably seven or eight years. So, a lot of the equipment that we've used, we used uh, a lot of the ubiquity equipment. So they've got the nanostations, the 
um, power beams, that sort of thing, the wireless point-to-point antennas, they actually use Wi-Fi as an underlying technology. So um, when Ubiquiti first started making devices for that sort of use case back in like 2005, then the original NAS station just used the Wi-Fi standard, H2.11, uh, and you did it that way. The the main problem with that is the way, the way that Wi-Fi works is, so it does something called uh, neighbor, uh, sorry, what's it called? Neighbor detection. And it actually, so if you're, it's to do with how packets are transmitted. So if I've got a phone and iPad next to each other, they'll actually be communicating with each other and, and figure out when's best to broadcast and make sure they're not colliding. Um, if you've got a, if you've got a 20 kilometer link, that's not going to be very, very possible. So, um, with Air Max, you've actually developed their own system. But as I said, wireless, wireless, uh, infrastructure, wireless technology is in use in so many different places. On my own podcast, Correct Spotlight, I spoke to David Theodore last year. He's a big advocate for using wireless technology to overcome natural disasters. Um, so there was a, a natural disaster in Puerto Rico a few years ago. And within a few days, so that natural disaster had wiped out all the cable and fiber lines in the whole country, leaving the whole country offline. Uh, and within a few days, they'd used air fibers and other ubiquity hardware to get the whole country back online within a few days, which was just incredible. Um, but yeah, so with, with WISPs, getting getting coverage to rural locations. Wisps are a massive thing in the US. Um, every state has their own little one, I think. But yeah, it's farms and different locations, and especially here in the UK, in Devon, it's quite a like a rural area. Um, and getting the coverage to them when they need it in, in, until the fibre rolls out is, is really, really important. So that's yeah that's because i um a friend of mine's family their house and i think at some point they are getting proper fiber um because look the fiber rollout in this country is going to take time yeah my my only gripe with our fiber rollout randomly is surely this should all be d- being done by one company like isn't the whole point of open reach that they're meant to be isolated separate from bt and handle the net the country's infrastructure or am i off on that? i don't know maybe i'm that's more like just because of yeah, that'd be a lot more like a nationalisation sort of thing. Um, True, I don't think we want... Yeah. yeah, let's not get into that. Yeah, But they are with, uh, I think it's Wessex Internet, and they're, they're an Ooh. ISP, uh, WISP. Yeah. Um, they're with them. I know, uh, look, um, Creator, he, he drives me crazy at times, because he, like, I wish I had his money and his, uh, his wealth. Don't know, he's uh, Alex um, uh, from Mars Bar. Um, yeah. Yeah. He runs his own wisp for his little village, I think. Yes, he does. Yeah, yeah. Now he's using Ubiquiti hardware, if I remember correctly. Um, yes. Yep. And there's another one which is a big one, and I'm gonna just uh, say they suck. Wifinity, uh, Wifinity run the, the. They are a wireless ISP. They run a lot of caravan part Wi-Fi, particularly for Part D resorts where my parents have a caravan. And um, it sucks. They're, they're not using ubiquity gear. They're using other stuff, which, I mean, <laughs> oh, do you know what, Alex, correct me if I'm wrong. A wisp like, I might not even be a wisp because I think they've got, no, that's not a wisp because they've got an inbound connection to the park and then it's just a point to multi-point deployment around the park. That's not a true wisp, is it? Not really, no. 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 That's just a badly done point to multi-point. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Alex, what I mean by that is point to multi-point, you've got a big like central antenna yep. which then goes out to a bunch of... They're called CPEs, so client devices. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then they go into, uh, I can tell you for certain, so there's an antenna on 
my parents' caravan, this is yep. a static caravan by you folks, and then inside there's a normal Wi-Fi access point, which yep. is for my parents to use. Yeah. Fun fact, actually, what about, we were on about bridge mode and router mode earlier. Those antennas, or the receiving antennas, they can actually do different modes, like router mode. They can be in bridge mode themselves. So they've got a lot of features on them, which is quite impressive. Okay. So Cool. And w- yeah, Jay, you had a question for Alex, I believe. Yeah. So um, here I have a monopoly on what ISPs I, I, I can do cable-wise. Okay. So I was looking at a couple options. Um, James thankfully helped me decide to stay with who I have because of the latency. But there are certain instances like like Starry Internet, um, T-Mobile, Verizon. Are those WIFs or are those more multipoint? Because I, I would have to have a, a device here to root around my my property or but is that wisp or is that multi-point so i think what you mean is do you mean like 5g home internet from t-mobile that sort of thing yes that technically isn't a wisp that's just the mobile phone or the carriers doing they're delivering the 4g 5g connection in a different medium okay thank you because i i was curious on that and like starry um what i've been told is that they have a that that might be satellite, but not quite what we think, because that there's they claim they can be f- like like many megabits, like, like like hundreds of megabits up and down is what is what is what they claim. Hmm. But that's but satellite, have, isn't it? That's yeah, more like more akin to Starlink. Okay, good. I just I wanted to ask because I figured some of the people might also have that same question too. I've not heard of Starry actually, so yeah, they're an interesting one. I was looking at, but I'm also not allowed to put anything outside of my flat to connect stuff so i see yeah um well because there was one here but it was i think it was telly two or something like that it was a satellite based internet uh decades ago that i looked at for my parents and that was not an option oh sorry star Star internet isn't satellite it's it's they're a wisp okay okay i was wondering that because it's from what you were saying it sounded like it i just i got very confused by oh how they were providing stuff but I I was told I couldn't put anything on the outside of my flat. Sorry, Starry Internet, they're doing something really cool. So generally with WISPs, the equipment you use uses 5 gigahertz. Starry Internet are using ultra-high frequencies to get really fast speeds. So they're using the same technology as what I was on about with the uh, mobile phone towers to link each tower together. So what they've done is gone and purchased a lot of licenses, which is actually quite expensive to do for these um, this certain uh, frequencies in certain spaces, and they'll get ultra high speeds to house that's actually quite that's actually quite interesting i i was looking at them as a, a, a um in addition to what i'm using now yeah but or not in addition in in, in to replace uh, yeah right? to replace okay so that brings an interesting question because my assumption there that would have been satellite internet and we know that as good as um starlink is just whatever we think about about space cavern starlink is actually pretty good but starlink it doesn't have the best latency, does it? But and where do wisps sit in that sort of from full fiber to where, where do they sit in terms of potential latency issues? It depends. So I'm talking to you guys over a wisp at the moment, and it's it's if it's done properly, it's as good as fiber. Wow. Okay. So I'll read for that how you will. Um, but what was interesting about Starry is that it was symmetrical. I was, I was, well, you got Alex there. is symmetrical. Alex, what, 50 or 50 down? I yep. think you said that's mine. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, actually, oh, it's a shame you can't have that fitted, Ben, because that, without getting too much in switching up, without switching over to internet technologies, 
folks, a reason that if you're on a cable provider, you're never going to get above maybe, uh, maybe, well, I say your, your upload will always be much, much lower than your download is because Doxis as a technology, just it's not designed to be asymmetrical. It's designed to be massively weighted in terms of download, right? I think so. That's how ADSL works. Yeah, ADSL is the same. ADSL well, and VDSL, indeed. Uh, VDSL is, well, I, I guess is the correct term, XDSL, because like VDSL is just faster yep. ADSL, really, isn't it? Anyway, all right. Well, I would just point out we're on the subject. Um, if anyone's interested in using Starry, they've actually gone bankrupt in February. So, oh, well, there oh, you go, Jay. You can't use them. <laughs> I am glad to know that. Okay, I was, I, I, when I was wondering, they were, they, they seem very like, like they would give you a whole like advanced router and all that. Well, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All righty then. Let's 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 not let's not promote star. I mean, it's good that we could talk about what they were doing, but maybe that's why they went bankrupt because <laughs> they were doing. It's quite an expensive approach to get actual wireless licenses for each link they're doing, which is that's that's quite expensive. Okay. I'm, I'm glad I didn't move over to them. Thank you. And I mean, I, I mean, well, we weren't really going to talk about Starlink, but what I mean, Starlink. It's very cool, really. The stuff they're doing on boats and and airplanes as well. I've used um, internet on a plane once before recently, and it's it's rubbish. It's, it's really terrible. So it's, if Starlink comes to airplanes, which they are planning on doing, that'd be game changing. So okay, uh, and one follow up just from the Verge: they are still going to provide internet coverage to new and existing people, but I'm I'm going to keep safe with who will have for now. <laughs> I think if if you're looking at an ISP who are having financial trouble, it does lead you to wonder what those cutbacks are going to be. In. And let's be honest, when a company's in trouble, the first thing they tend to cut is customer support. Yes. Right. Yeah. Let's talk, because we talked to um, disaster. Uh, I will say, I think, didn't Chris Sherwood go and do some disaster recovery? Was it down in Florida or somewhere recently? Yeah, the ID iddc or i can't remember exactly what it was called but that that video was incredible mm, we'll link that in the show notes because chris did a genuine shout out to chris chris i haven't actually spoken to chris personally but i know you have i know alex has and he just seems like one of the nicest guys on the planet uh, i like you I've, I've learned an incredible amount from his videos um i had him on the creative spotlight podcast last november uh good episode really good fun to do but yeah it's awesome all right let's talk then because we talked about disaster recovery, let's talk about making the most of what you got. Because Jay made a really, really good point earlier, which I think is incredibly valid. Not all of us are going to be able to go out and afford to buy a new mesh system. Now, I'll be very honest. I'm actually, oh, thank you. I'm going to actually, you know, buy for my sister. I'm going to buy her. Uh, I haven't quite decided. I'm torn between part of me is thinking I just get her the Deco AC1200. Because the eight, the twelve hundred is the speed of uh, the the total speed of a network, but she's not got the fastest internet connection, so I think twelve hundred would probably be okay. Or I'm looking at a Mercury Sys, which I've never heard of before, but it's got good reviews, which is AC nineteen hundred, and they're both. Just to be clear on these, you can get in the UK, you can get decent mesh Wi-Fi. Okay, it's not going to be the best in terms of performance, if you've got a higher speed connection. If you're on, like, gigabit fiber, you probably want something higher end anyway. For what she's got, we're talking sub 90 pounds, sub 80 pounds mesh kits. I, I think we're brilliant. But if you can't afford that, what can you actually do, Alex? What We talked a little bit about channels earlier. What can people do to make the most of the, the stuff, they've, the Wi-Fi gear they've already got? 
Yeah, so it's in order to optimize, you've got to literally understand how the Wi-Fi is physically sort of leaving the device. It's coming from the router. So we mentioned earlier about having it behind a TV. So if you can, give the router as much open space as possible, the access point or whatever. So having it behind a TV in a corner, that's a big no-no. Under the stairs, like I mentioned, in, in newer houses. Um, if you can, just bring it out in the open. Generally, if you've only got one device, so like a one router, one access point, try and put it in the middle of the house because... Mm-hmm. That's going to be going to be the best choice, um, and yeah, just less obstacles around it as possible. Um, not really next to a wall because that will reflect off the wall and, and cause issues. And just in a in a in a good open space if possible. So, and one thing, um, like look at where your your router's um, placement. It's so like Eero. Yep, directly above the Eero does not work as well as out from it. Because their antennas are are outward based, not upward based. Because because oh, that's a good point. Yeah, so I've got so I've got. Well, I can't really show, but the the Unifor access points they're a, a like a sort of a UFO shape, um, and they're designed to be broadcast outward. So if you've got a device that's behind the access point, it's not going to be connecting as well. So with a, a sort of a access point like that ceiling or or well less so but on the wall but on a ceiling high up if, if possible if you've got that sort of situation but if you just got one of the routers just open location and then also we can talk about channels as well if you want to absolutely so before before we date so obviously in that scenario you've got there are people who have limitations mm-hmm. if you've got for example uh your 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 phone so if we're talking uh, you know maybe cable point or whatever you've got, only got a certain run of cable yep is it at that point if it's possible you sh- could you could you should look maybe to run more cable to get it to the other of a location i guess like what's because that's going to be a limiting factor isn't it when cuz look Vir- i know virgin media will just install a router next to the tv and i've seen virgin media put them behind tvs because clearly virgin media engineers don't think about yep. wi-fi placement yep but you know, is it you would need to then extend the cable, wouldn't you, where possible? Yeah, you could. Well, the easy thing to do is buy a reel of cable um, that's pre-terminated with the Ethernet ends. And uh, what people tend to do, what I tend to do, is buy a reel of cable that's not pre-terminated, run it through walls, and, and then terminate it yourself, which is a little bit tricky. But yeah, if you if you can buy a a reel of cable off Amazon that's that's a length that you want that's got the Ethernet ends pre-done, and then move it move it to a location in the house that's, that's possible. So, I guess I'm more, sorry, I guess I'm more talking about if you're using an ISP-provided router, oh, yeah. but it's, say, VDSL or cable, it's not going to be Ethernet that you need to worry about stretching out, is it? Uh, no, so if it's if it's ADSL, you've got the um, RG11 cables, typically for that sort of situation. You could get a longer reel of that. Um, that's Okay, that's what I was going to ask. So is the, the distance on my RG11 cable wouldn't really matter uh, i guess to an extent i think it's i think because it's copper it's similar to ethernet so maybe less than 100 meters okay right right so we're still talking a very reasonable distance but okay so rj11 you could do and i think coax you could do the same i'm i'm not sure to be honest but yeah no i'm not i know actually no i am sure that you can do that because my parents the cable point was in the corner and virgin media did to be fair run a cable around to the tv because they have to do for the tv box so maybe yeah 
what about then, Alex? We talked about channels, and we're not talking about TV channels here. We're not talking about BBC One, ITV. We're talking about the chance of a, I had to, or PBS, or, uh, you know. Uh, no, we're, we're talking, or YouTube channels, indeed. Or uh, CW. We're, we're, oh, gosh. We're talking about the actual, okay, so maybe help, because I don't think we even talked about this. Within the frequency. Yep. So, why? So let's take, for example, uh, 2.4 gigahertz, because that's one that tends to be the most crowded. Yep. There will be multiple channels, and they are just a different, correct me if I remember, just a different frequency within that 2.4 gigahertz. Yes, that's correct. So in, in 2.4 gigahertz, there are 30, 13 channels in the UK. I'm not sure about it in the US, but essentially, so there's, I understand more about uh, the spacing of 5 gigahertz, but yeah, so you've you got, let's imagine you've got, 2437 is one of the one of the frequencies or 2440 so 2.4 and there's a, a number of channels in that space if you've got a 20 megahertz channel what that's essentially meaning is you've got a center frequency and then there's 10 megahertz either side and that makes up your channel so in 2.4 it's very small it's a very small block of frequency you've only got three channels which are not overlapping uh is it about one one six and eleven and so then that brings so say for example Let's say we've got a block of flats. Let's take, um, let's just take a block of flats. It's got two, two flats on each floor. Yeah. And there's three floors in total. What you should, am I right that you should sort of be in an ideal world? And you said BT are doing this or trying to do this if everyone's using BT hubs. Yeah. You would want to stagger. So you'd maybe go one, six, 11. No, hang on. How would you, yeah, you'd have to figure out. Yes, you would. Yeah. Yeah. In an office building. Yeah, in an office building, if you've got a lot of access points, generally with some of the APs, you'd even just turn off two point four on some of them. Right. I just have okay. with five gigahertz, there are a lot more, a lot more channels available, a lot more frequencies available, and even with six gigahertz, there's there's absolutely tons available. So five gigahertz is an easier frequency to plan just because how big it is. I know in the US there aren't many channels available. Some of the restrictions are quite there's more restrictions basically, but there's a lot of there's a lot of five gigahertz frequencies available in the UK. So. Okay. And, but I mean, does it, so here's a question, man. Most routers, so most Wi Fi access points, maybe mistake myself there. Yeah. Will let you do auto channel selection. Is that a good thing to let it do it itself? Typically, no. It, it doesn't do a very good job of doing it. I know with, I know even Unify hasn't to date been very good at doing it either. Uh, I know with some recent software, if you, leave it on auto and then run a RF spectrum scan on the device. It will actually intelligently do it properly now, which is huge revelation um, after 10 years of Unify. But <laughs> typically, if you can, plan it yourself if you're in an office building or a large house. But the automatic channel typically doesn't work that well. So in that scenario we talked about with the flats, I just want to make sure. So in that scenario, you'd want to try and space it so that would you probably end up going, let's say if we went uh, floor, so that's a floor, so you go flat, so flat one, one, channel one, yep. then six, then 11, then six, then one. Yes. Then, yeah. Yeah. Right? Yes, right. Okay. So that you're, you're, yeah, so you're not then ending up with like, you wouldn't go back to the start, so you wouldn't have flat. So if you say, you, so if your number is one, two, three, four, five, yep. six, you wouldn't end up with flats one and say four, yep. both on channel one. Right? You wouldn't want that, that, no. Yeah. Yeah. No. Okay. 
and of course you look let's be honest you can't go around to your neighbors it wouldn't be nice if we could you can't yeah. go around to say hey neighbor could you change your wi-fi channel now, can I bring up an interesting thing uh, um, that that because my, that, that 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 Eero does? Yeah. Mm. So so Eero does a channel availability check and 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 and, and to keep all the devices on a good channel. Well, in the U.S. and Canada, they have a thing called dynamic frequency selection. So depending on how close they are to in use rate radar signals, there is a spectrum of channels available. I am too close to the to to the airport, unfortunately, which uses these signals. So I I don't I can't my Eero can't. But in certain situations, they can actually open up to a wider range, and this is within the F our our federal FCC. Um, yeah, within the FCC r- rules. But it's an interesting thing Eero has tried to do to find even more channels. So I I'm not trying to tangent, but more it's just there's a lot of yeah. So. We have that in the UK as well with Ofcom. So Ofcom's our equivalent FCC. DFS has been, it's a, it's a, it's a section of the 5 gigahertz spectrum, which is reserved for other uses like weather radar and airplane mm-hmm. usage. So, um, when, when a device is set to a frequency that's within DFS, it does, it has to legally do a pre-check to make sure there's nothing else on that spectrum, a frequency, sorry. And if it can, it can broadcast. And if it finds any radar, it has to, it has to change. In the UK with WISPs as well, you can use DFS. If you're found to be skirting the rules, you can get fined from Ofcom, which is actually quite serious. You can even go to jail for that. So, oh yeah, Ofcom. Oh, you don't mess with Ofcom. No, <laughs> in this country, no. Uh, I'm sure you don't mess with the FCC either. But we know. Oh no, but yeah, no. Uh, Ofcom is off. Ofcom are pretty. Look for a good reason. Pretty strict. Yeah. Right. Awesome. And uh, again, you know. I think let's have a look. Uh, we we've we've talked about the channel selection. Placement is important. One thing I want to I want to make note of, especially for mesh. One thing to be careful of is too many mesh network or devices could actually cause overlap. There are certain this yeah you have to have a lot of devices, but there is I I especially on the subreddit for Eero the official subreddit. Sometimes sometimes people will go a little too overboard with too many mm-hmm. devices, and then they're like, you might not need that many. That's a very good question, to, uh, Alex. You you can probably speak to this. Like, is that a, a you know that sounds like a legit concern? Where if you flood a house with say you like say you've you've got a a two-bedroom flat and you put four mesh points in that's going to be too much right because yeah it's the same with unify as well so if you're it's a, it's the same same thing i think with the era subreddit maybe people are discovering some of this wireless thing like wireless uh information has been out for quite a while but it's 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 more about flooding the area with too many gigahertz channels and also if you've got too many wi-fi access points in a certain area and they're so imagine your phone is in the hallway and there's one in one bedroom, one over there, and your phone's seeing two BSSIDs with the same signal level. It's going to be jumping around all the time. Um, so you'll be quite careful of that as well. And the roaming is not without... There will be a slight lag when you roam, right? By very nature, but you're switching yeah. access points. Yeah. there is a. So within iOS, I know there's a threshold of minus 65 dBm. At that threshold, it will start looking for other neighbours. So, yeah, that is a that's a genuine thing, so... Okay, you know a lot of these mesh manufacturers will say in the packaging, you know, like the the specs, like four, maybe two to three bedrooms, four, four to five, and that, that tends to correlate to the number of APs, the number of access points in that you buy at one time. 
So yeah. like I'm thinking for my sister's place, which is a a two bedroom, relatively small, like area wise house. I'm thinking two mesh points, one in one in the lounge near like in an open space near to the router. Yeah. Because we're gonna have to use her, her router and put it into I think we're gonna have to just put these into access point mode because it's a sky router. Until they get full fiber, they're gonna have to be in access point mode. One there and then probably one in my nephew's room. Probably is my thinking. So one thing to remember with the with Wi Fi planning and that sort of thing, there is never a rule of thumb for any of it. It always it always depends on the environment. So what I tend to do is do some tests with a with a uh, a so I think on Android there's some Wi-Fi scanner apps. So what I use is the uh, the Wi-Fi Man app on iOS for, from your book too. And it actually just you just yes. just walk around the room and and scan mm. and scan the and make sure where you where you are there's a good signal level because you might find that you might get away with two or three. So I I helped right. a friend three or four years ago now. It's quite a, it's a relatively large house like two or three bedrooms. But I was like, oh, we probably need three Unify APs. We put one in the kitchen and the whole house was covered. I was like, hmm, okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it does depend on the environment and and where it is and that sort of thing. So Because as you said earlier, every house is, you know, yeah, you talk rightly about different materials. If you've got a big old like Yorkshire stone property, yeah. absolutely you're going to need more APs. And in fact, in those sort of properties, you probably want to consider if you can, I'm going to make a. You probably want to consider trying to do some form of Ethernet backhaul in those properties. Yes. Yeah. Listen, I think that covers everything. Oh, there's one thing I was going to just quickly actually say. I don't know if it's maybe it's too technical for this episode, but Mo, um, Moomimo, um, multi multi user, multiple input, multiple outputs. Is that something that people need to even think about, or is it just something that's in open, good routers now and it's just a thing? So good access points. Sorry. Yeah. For everyone, I think for the general average user, you probably don't need to worry about it. The I know did notice actually with older Intel Macs, the so with yeah with so with uh, MIMO, it, it can basically transmit receive multiple things at the same time. So imagine it like like three yeah. So if you're downloading a file, your computer or phone supports two or three channels at the same time or lanes at the same time. It is essentially like having three roads or three pipes of traffic coming into your device. Uh, and so sort of being saturated with data, essentially. Um, so I remember on older Intel Macs, they actually supported 3 by 3 MIMO, which was huge at the time. And now with the M1 stuff, it now maxes out a 2 by 2 which is which is a bit weird. I think for the average user, it's probably something you, not need to, you don't you really need to worry about that much. I think it's more of an on-paper spec versus this is going to make a huge difference. And one one final question for you, because I'm, I'm very conscious of time. These... <laughs> so look these uh, i don't i want to be careful here because i don't want to upset any manufacturers or anything right gaming routers gaming uh-huh. like like night stupidly powerful night hawks and things like that are do they serve a purpose or are they is it about pushing the bandwidth out i guess does it depend on what your internet connection is as well to an extent like how fast it it, it does um i think with the game routers there are they're a bit overhyped. I think what they're doing software-wise is more of QoS, some automatic QoS features, which make a better difference. Um, to be honest, I think something like, uh, in terms of, I'm a little bit biased, but I think I think something like a UDR would be better than a Netgear Nighthawk, really. 
Um, I mean, well, that would be my that would be my my thought too. Because you, so quality of service. Just to clarify for people, QoS quality of service. What it ba- a very now. Correct me if I get this wrong, please. It basically looks at all the traffic and says, okay, let's try and prioritize this traffic and let's try and make sure that no one device can utilize all of the bandwidth and effectively hog all of the bandwidth. It tries to treat network traffic fairly. Is that a good summary of QoS? Yeah, so think of uh, network traffic like a pipe. So if you've, if someone's... That, that that pipe's full basically anything else you try and shove through it, it's going to take longer and longer and longer so imagine if you're imagine if you've got 50 meg down you're downloading something that's maxing it out completely you're ping something on the internet or try and do something else it's incredibly slow so what what qs is doing is saying this pipe can only go to 80 percent, and then that 20 percent at the top is still free which means something like phone calls and video calls or podcast recordings, whatever, they still will go through okay on that top 20% because there's still some room free um, for things things that are small to go through fine. So I'm I'm looking at the specs on these Netgear, Netgear routers, the Nighthawk ones. They've they've got very low specs, really. I mean, they've got 250, 256 megs of RAM. Yours UDR's got two or three gigs of RAM. Um, wow. There's, they haven't really bumped up the Ethernet port speed to 2.5 gig, which would be my first thought they'd do. Personally, I, I haven't used one, but I don't think they can possibly do much with one little device than than a UDR could do. So, so I mean, I, yeah. Look, my experience with UDR. Look, let's be <laughs> the UDR, but the Unify app. I'd be able to do stuff to help our streams by making sure that if Backblaze does run when it's not meant to, because I've got Backblaze set on a schedule at network level. Yeah, I've throttled. I've uh, speed restricted band backblaze traffic. I've speed restricted the guest network because, uh, by the way, uh, guest networks they are just are they taking up another? They are another SSID. By are they on a different channel? Or is it just are they the same BSSID but just a different SSID? That's a good. I meant to I meant to suggest this earlier. Common mis- common misconception is imagine if you do imagine if you do a Wi-Fi scan. And you see a bunch of different SSIDs, but they're all virtual SSIDs. So if you've got Unify IP or UDR, and you've got, I don't know, six or seven SSIDs, someone looking at that is going to think, oh God, there's so much interference everywhere. But no, it, it is not more interference. It's just a virtual SSID. It, when you mention BSSID, it's actually a different BSSID, but um, it's it's not making any more interference. That's the, the general consensus of that. Okay, so it's still using the same radio channel, so it's not yes. like every, yeah, because yep. it's still one radio in the device. Yep. And uh, on the case of like something, so I'm assuming that guest networks on these access points in an ideal world should, and I know it's not the case on every route, on every access point, every router, um, they should be a separate VLAN with firewall rules, but I don't think every, they, they, in my, in my experience, they never are. There's nothing special they're doing. I do know Eros, a guest network. Um, I know some of these things, like we were, like like the Amazon Sidewalk, is is a VLAN. It, it uses the bandwidth of your of your, but it only talks with other. It, it's a network that that talks with other Amazon devices, other Ring devices, um, which I don't like. I really don't like that yeah, idea. The, the, I, the, I struggle with that. <laughs> it, it it does remind me of like the or, the. Uh, of one thing that I know spec I know Spectrum here does, and it, it kind of a um, Spectrum you. You have the option of of on their Wi-Fi router creating a guest network that any other Spectrum users could connect to, yeah, and use your bandwidth, and you could use any of their bandwidth. 
it's, it's kind of, I remember years ago, this company was giving out free Wi-Fi routers and the, and the, the stipulation was you then created a VLAN. Was it Fawn? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Fawn. Well, Fawn, didn't they get, didn't BT deploy Fawn for a while, baked into their home hubs, Alex? They still are, but it's not called Fawn anymore. It's just BT Wi-Fi, which I find okay. incredibly useful. Oh, you, Okay, maybe I'm just being uh, 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 maybe. Okay, I, go go on because I'd like to know. Yeah, I think I know why you'd find it useful. My concern is what's what's to stop that hogging all my bandwidth? Is my I I don't know really. There's no information at a technical level what it's doing. I I haven't okay. checked if it's a separate IP range. That that the, the, the I'd imagine I'd hope that it would be. Um, yeah, I haven't checked the speed of them. Generally, they're not. I would imagine they're probably capped at whatever speed, possibly. You'd hope. Um, but I find them useful in public spaces. So sometimes, where you go coffee shop or some sort of place to use a, a phone or laptop, or whatever, there's the place isn't offering Wi-Fi. It was more of a thing five or six years ago. Wi-Fi has become more of a a common uh, commodity now. Thankfully. Yeah, because isn't isn't there a movement for is it open wireless? And the idea is that you set it up, you set up a VSSID with that name. I think you put a password on it, and you just let anyone use it. Now, of course, on good Wi-Fi gear like the Ubiquiti UDR, yep. you can VLAN that off, and you can because I can, uh, you know, I can on a on a good setup. Yeah. So my work Wi-Fi, for example, the Wi-Fi I've set up for my work devices is capped at a certain threshold. And but it is completely isolated on a, its own VLAN. Again, firewall rules to stop any work traffic getting. Yeah, am I making yeah. sense? Yeah, this is from. Um, um, if you if you go to, um, oh, it's EFF, isn't it? Yeah, yeah that's e- what I found. E- yeah, e- EFF, and it, it's dozens of open networks are available. At your fr- there are two. Um, just so everybody knows, there's an open wireless company that sells you wireless. But this this one's op- that the the goal is. Dozens of open networks are available. Tablets, watches are can automatically join their networks to nifty things. The I do say because um, I was listening to podcasts about Sidewalk, about even like even even Apple's AirTag system. There is a a concern now if a lot of your systems are creating these networks. Are you siphoning off bandwidth here and there to all these networks? And I mean, I think that is a very valid concern. The more network, the more bandwidth we're siphoning off to everybody. Are we still keeping it for ourselves? And I think that is a very good concern because one network siphoning off a little bit here is not bad, but you have all these devices. I buy. Uh, that's where it becomes a huge concern. Yes, I mean, look from from my point of view, I would absolutely set up openwireless.org. Give it maybe ten up, ten down. Da- well, I would at the moment I would give it ten down, and maybe give it ten up, maybe two. Sorry, ten down, two up, maybe as a way for people to get access. And I would filter the heck out of it. I would put it through Ubiquiti's ad blocker. I would, because big UDR has, guess what, folks? It's got content filtering. So yep. this is sounding like an advert for Ubiquiti UDR, but <laughs> like, yeah, I, I mean, let's be honest, Alex, you use, obviously you tested this thing out. Now you've got a full-on Ubiquiti network at home. Yeah. You would use it, this was from, um, in fact, where, uh, it's, it's behind me. Um, you were using this, and it is a great little device. And at the price point of just of two hundred pounds, the price point is good. Yeah, it was even better when it was in the air. I was like, oh, please let that be the actual price. Please let <laughs> that be the actual price. I know and it wasn't. No. Anyway, look, we should we should probably wrap up. It, Alex, from you, is there any closing thoughts that people should be aware of with Wi-Fi and uh, you know and wireless in general? 
Well, definitely. There's a lot of things just from there's a lot of things you can learn uh, about Wi-Fi. As I mentioned, there's a lot of things a long time ago that were you could read scary things about Wi-Fi. None of it's none of it's really true. It's 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 something to be. Yeah, you can you can get a lot of benefit from using Wi-Fi in the house or the home, uh, the the workplace as well. Um, it's been good to good to talk to you both about the ins and outs of technical the technical reason uh, t- technical um, details about Wi-Fi and all the different use cases it's got. It's got a lot of use cases um, from natural disasters to wisps to bringing internet to rural areas. So yeah, it's, it's a good time. I, I look, it's a lot. Wi-Fi has changed the way we use technology. Gone are the days when you would be tethered to a computer with 56k modem. The fact that I can sit anywhere around my flat and edit the po- edit this this very podcast and then upload it or send the files off to the NAS, be doing video calls with Jay, you know. Or in fact, now look, we're all hardwired, we're all hardwired in. Uh, I that and we're all on Ethernet. But at the same time, we actually could use Wi-Fi. To do what we do, I do FaceTime Wi-Fi calls all the time, and it works. So Wi-Fi is a wonderful thing. I really hope this episode has been useful for people, and this is absolutely one. Look, you know, obviously, Alex, if if people drop us a drop us comments or uh, stuff in the Discord, uh, we can we we can pass on any questions and see if you can yeah. jump in and, yeah. and answer. Awesome. Any yeah, questions, so let me folks? Know. Awesome. So, folks, come over to our Discord, crosswise.net forward slash Discord. Uh, we will have a specific... F- um, in fact, Jake, we, can we do a link to the actual forum post if people yes. are already on the um, Discord? Yeah. If anybody who's already joined the Discord, absolutely. Okay. So, join our Discord, crosswise.net.discord. And then in the episode, in the show notes, or if you're already on the server, just follow the link. It'll take you straight to a forum post. Drop us an email to podcast at crosswise.net. And look, engage with us on on mastodon if you honestly we'd love to hear your experiences maybe you've got some wi-fi horror stories um you know we, Ooh, look, well, i've got some stuff i haven't, haven't shared <laughs> oh i know well, you can, yeah but uh, and i'm sure alex has got loads of horror stories of deployments and stuff and i bet you know our friends like chris and and cody and tom have seen some weird and wonderful deployments i mean uh, i mean to be fair i'm sure you know tom is a man who's seen an ssd hot glued into an m.2 slot has probably seen far worse oh. in the networking world um you know, i will say one thing on. i i like i love modern phones where you, you can now share wi-fi passwords much easier oh that's so with that's consent cool. obviously well I, look, I, cl- I will say this iCloud, the whole iCloud keychain and be able to, you know, uh, share the Wi. If you're joined to a Wi Fi network and someone, your friend comes along on an iPhone and joins that network, just the ability to share that password is so cool. Actually, because I think when I visited you, James, that was the first thing you shared with me was the Wi Fi. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Jay's on the primary network, but guest network. Anyway, let's, let's, let's wrap this up. Alex, thank you so much as always. It, 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 it's feeling like you're becoming part of it part of a team um because we have you on so often it's very <laughs> weird not recording with you uh, recording with you for charging statements but that's all good alex <laughs> where can people find all your amazing content cool um so for news reviews and different tech guides uh about anything uh have a look at the interface.uk uh we're also on twitter and mastodon as well you can find out uh all the content i make for hostify as well uh hostify.com you can find the blogs, uh, support guides, and YouTube videos as well. That's what I'm doing day to day. And also, ugh, 
yeah, uh, yeah, that's where I, that's, I can, that's where you can find me. Awesome, and we'll link Alex's actual first appearance on the show because Alex came on to talk about Hostify way back when. So a nice little circular that we now gone home grade, uh, home grade uh, uh, routing stuff, and of course, as we said, business network, business networking, office Wi-Fi is a whole different game, and we probably should try and bribe Cody to come back on the show sometime to talk about the latest. In Unify, I'd love to get you two together actually to talk the latest in Unify <laughs> gear. So that'd be quite cool. That could be a long episode. Jay, thank you so much for all your wonderful questions and for being my amazing co-host. Let's roll that outro. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cross Wires. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion and we'd love to hear your thoughts. So please drop us a note over to podcast at crosswires.net. You can also drop us a comment on the post or if you're a good pod user, why not start a discussion there too? You can also join our new Discord server at crosswires.net forward slash Discord. We've got forum channels for each episode and we'd love you to join the discussion there. You can also follow us on Mastodon at crosswires at mastodon.social. And of course, you can find the show in all the good podcast apps and all the really bad ones too. More of our content, head on over to crosswires.net slash YouTube for all our videos and keep an eye on our Twitch channel at crosswires.net slash live our upcoming streams if you like what you heard please do drop a review in your podcast directory of choice it really does help spread the word about the show and of course if you can spare even the smallest amount of financial support we'd be incredibly grateful you can support us at ko-fi.com slash crosswires that is ko-fi.com slash crosswires until next time thanks for listening This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.